Welcome to the WRSU crew. I'm Chris Akonis, and we're in a really tough spot here. The Big Ten is meeting tonight. Actually, meeting was supposedly scheduled for right now. Every Big Ten president and chancellor is meeting right now, and we all know what they're talking about, and we all know what they're going to do. Based on every piece of evidence that we've gotten, every report we've gotten on Twitter over the last three days or so, the Big Ten is going to cancel college football by tomorrow. That's what we're looking at right now. Now, whether they decide that they're going to try and play in the spring, whether they're not going to play football at all this year, you know, what happens to basketball, all these questions are unanswered. But we know for a fact that there will not be Rutgers football in the fall. There'll be no soccer. We don't know what's going to happen next with Rutgers athletics. There will be no Rutgers games played in any sport until at least November, probably later than that, if we're being honest with ourselves. And we don't know what's going to happen next. But the reports right now are the Big Ten is going to cancel fall sports. Uh, we'll probably hear about that either later tonight or tomorrow. And that'll be the official announcement. And I, I don't know what the plan is going forward. I mean, what do you do with football? Is it feasible to play in the spring? Is it worth it to you know play a shortened season in the spring like the Ivy League and the MAC and a bunch of other conferences, smaller conferences are planning to do? I don't know. I don't know what you do with respect to winter sports, basketball, wrestling. Can you play those sports on time? I don't think you can. Realistically, you're going to have to figure out if you're an administrator at a school, a conference, wherever. You're going to have to figure out before you bring back college sports for realsies. You're going to have to figure out can we stop someone from being a victim to an outbreak caused by practice or a game or whatever? Because they tried to figure that out now and it clearly didn't work. I don't know what needs to change between now and then in order to make sports feasible. I mean, is it better testing? Is it a treatment? Is it a vaccine? Is it... I don't know. But this is an immensely difficult time for Rutgers fans, for Rutgers athletes, for those of us in the media. It's it's just an awful, awful day. It's an awful time for the sport. It's couldn't be a worse time to be a college sports fan or broadcaster for that matter. I don't know. I mean, I think that the SEC, if no one else, seems hell-bent on playing in the fall. I have no idea how they think that's going to work, given the fact that the virus is still spreading out of control down there. I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, realistically, there is no good reason why it's taken this long to come to this decision. I mean, realistically, it just... 
it, it should have been painfully obvious from the moment LSU and Clemson brought their players back and quickly had to shut down because of a major outbreak, like 20, 30 athletes on each team. It should have been painfully obvious that the status quo wasn't going to work. But for whatever reason, we decided to press forward. We decided, you know, we keep bringing athletes back. We get ready to plan a conference-only season. We'll schedule. We'll start on September 5th. None of it's going to work. And the Big Ten now has to cancel fall sports. Pac-12 is likely going to follow in their footsteps. I mean, I think it's a matter of time before the other three major conferences follow suit. We're probably not going to have any college football in the fall. And it's awful for fans. It's awful for players. It's awful for coaches. It's awful for the media. It's awful for everybody. But the people in charge of college sports should have done a much better job with this. They've got a very narrow window to figure out what comes next. A very narrow window to figure out what comes out next. Because basketball season's right around the corner. I know the big topic of discussion now with Rutgers fans is what happens to basketball? Do you push it back? Do you do you think that it'll be possible to play at all this year? And then there are also, of course, the questions for what happens with the athletes if there's no sports at all this year, like what happens with eligibility? You know, is Geo Baker going to get another year if there's no basketball season this year? What does that look like? We're going to step aside, talk to James Cratch, who's going to break down some more of this, and then we'll get into some NBA and other stuff later on in the show. It's WRSU Crew on 88.7 WRSU-FM, New Brunswick. Welcome back to the WRSU Crew. With the football season on life support, at least in the fall, There are a ton of unanswered questions about what comes next for Rutgers football, for the Big Ten, for all the other fall sports, and even more. So here now to try and give us some answers is our good friend James Cratch of NJ.com. So in the span of less than a week, the Big Ten went from publishing this revised schedule, saying that we plan on starting September 5th or September 3rd, and Kevin Warren saying, right now I feel good about the protocols in place and in the span of a few days, we went from that kind of optimism to almost the entire conference getting ready to pull the plug on the season. So what changed between then and now for such a reversal in sort of the mood around playing football in the fall? Well, I think, I think the, the biggest issue has been, one, I, I think this is all coming from a, you know, we've, we've said since the start of the pandemic, the university presidents, the chancellors, those were the folks that were going to make the call in the end. And I just think that kind of naivete, ignorance, whatever, the fact of the matter is that, you know, the situations like the outbreak at Rutgers, you know, the Northwestern having a scare with a positive test, the Indiana player who has had some significant health issues, you know, recovering, uh, the threat of, you know, as we learn more about the virus, the threat of cardiac risks, um, I think a lot of the, the medical professionals, you know, the Big Ten is a league that's a, it's a research based league you know these are major research institutions major major academic powerhouses they have medical experts who are saying this is probably not safe to do in their opinion they're going to listen to those people so i just think it's it's a situation where that this is a decision that they make it tomorrow um it probably could be done 
could have been done a month ago, but now they have finally kind of accepted all of the, the information and they're going forward. So then I guess my follow-up question is Big Ten commissioner, athletic directors, they've all been in touch with both the medical experts and the university presidents. And I'm sure that this skepticism has been building for a long time. So I guess my next question is why would the Big Ten release a schedule if they there was already some momentum to cancel the season? You know, I think it, they looked at it as just a simple situation of, you have to plan, even if you don't think it's going to work out, you know, you need to have a plan at some point. And I would say that, you know, the Big Ten was the first league to come out and say conference only. They were the last league to actually come out with a schedule. So I think that Dave's there, they would argue, hey, we've always been kind of apprehensive. We've always been kind of skeptical. But at some point, we knew we had to give ourselves a schedule to at least give ourselves the chance to move forward. What is sort of the holdup now from a formal announcement from the conference? Is it getting the last couple schools on board? Is it fears over other conferences not falling in line? What's the holdup? I think I think the Big Ten wants to kind of I want to see if the other Power Five leagues will go with them. I think the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are going to operate with a united front. Um, I think that if the Big Ten cancels, the Pac-12 is going to cancel. Those are schools that those are the two that, that in terms of you know off-field ideology, academics, they're the most closely aligned. I, I think the big question now is, I don't think the SEC is going to go quietly into the night. I think they're going to want to wait out. You know, They have their plan that they're going to bring students back to campus and wait to start the season at the end of September and see you know, how things evolve. I think the Big 12 and the ACC are the places they're kind of on the fence. And I think the Big 10 and Pac-12 are probably trying to sway them over because they would look at their strength in numbers, obviously, going forward. And it's easier for four leagues say they're not playing and for two. But I, I think it's all just that. I, I'm sure it's also negotiations with t, you know, TV partners. I'm sure it's looking into the idea of, of loans, bridge loans, financing. But I think they're just kind of wrapping this decision up because they want to have all the questions answered as many as they can uh, when they get to that point. That's an interesting point that you and I talked about off air. Um, the biggest source of revenue in this season, if it were to be played, especially with limited to no fan attendance, would be that TV revenue. So how could that potentially be restructured? What kind of money could Rutgers and other Big Ten schools be looking at still getting if the season's either pushed to the spring or canceled outright? Well, I think the biggest question that we really haven't answered yet is, you know, these TV partnerships are not one, two years. These are long-term deals. And they're always going up, you know. You know, ESPN, Fox—they never pay less money for Big Ten football the next time a contract negotiation comes around. They pay more, so I think that step one is going to be. And I would also argue that ESPN, Fox—they're just as much in this big business of college football as the Big Ten and the universities. So do they sort of go together and say, "Hey, we're going to we're going to give you guys some money up front to keep the lights on, you know, keep everything running," but? Down the road, we're, we're looking at maybe extending this contract with some favorable deals or, or maybe getting some, some new perks involved. You know, I think the other thing you have to watch is, whereas the Big Ten might have that relationship with its TV partners, the TV partners might have the same sort of issue with their advertisers. You know, if you're a big you know, national advertiser and you have a deal with ESPN, is your deal of such a long-term nature that you're – still going to pay up and keep ESPN whole knowing it's going to potentially come back around to you at the back end. And if you're a smaller advertiser, do you really want to get out of line and get your money back 
and then have to pay a premium to buy back in in the spring. I also think I have my doubts that spring football is a feasible thing. If I had to guess right now, I think there's a very good chance that there's no college football until fall 2021 uh, in the major conferences or most of them. But that being said, there's not a lot of TV inventory for ESPN and Fox to play in April and May. So a Big Ten football game probably is going to draw better ratings and make more money than an NBA regular season game or a baseball regular season game or even a hockey playoff game. So that being said, is there even more money in the spring potentially for this one-off? And that's how these schools are going to stay afloat. What makes you skeptical about playing in the spring? Is it the quick turnaround time? Is it the virus? I, I, I'm curious to see what your thinking is on that. I think it's the virus. I, I think it's a quick turnaround time. I, I just, you know, it, it would be one thing if, when I think when we started talking about the idea of spring football very, you know, back in March, April, I think the idea was, okay, maybe we'll get to a point where we just get through this cold and flu season and they can, you know, they can start training camp after Thanksgiving. They can kick off January 1st. You know, and even then, you know, it would be obviously more arduous than spring practices traditionally are. But even then, you get the season done by mid-April. You've got some time to, to, you know, prepare and still play a normal fall season. But if you're not going to kick off until March, I just don't see how you're going to play two seasons like that. It's just not safe. I think you're going to have guys opt out. You're going to have... Guys go to the NFL, which I don't think is that big of an issue, but you're gonna you're gonna be bringing you know early enrollee freshmen who didn't play high school football season because of the virus and try to throw them out on the field. I just don't think that's manageable. So if the schools were gonna say, hey, we're gonna play a, a six game spring season and a ten game fall season, I'd say, okay, maybe this is possible. But if they want to play two full seasons in a calendar year, that's just not gonna work. And if there's no spring season, how would eligibility be handled? We saw back in the spring, the NCAA more or less left it up to the schools. Some schools gave their spring athletes an extra year. Some said, sorry, don't have room for you. How could we see the NCAA potentially work around that? Well, I think that it's going to be similar to the spring situation. And I think that it's going to be a point where if the athletes are guaranteed the year of eligibility, which I have to imagine, you know, um, then it might be a situation where if a guy graduates and gets his degree or his four or five years are up, there might not be a spot for him. But obviously for other guys, there's going to be a spot. I think it's going to be kind of a, I don't think it's going to be a blanket situation, but but then in college football, the winds of change are kind of whipping college football, the idea of players unionizing and NIL rights and all that. So I think it's a little bit too early to say that, but I would expect the basic is going to be the NCAA is going to do what they did in the spring with the spring sports and go from there. Does not having a first season in 2020, and let's be honest, even if Rutgers were to play this 10-game season, most people would expect that they're probably not going to win more than one or two Big Ten conference games, given that he's dealing with a largely talent-deficient roster. Does it sort of benefit Shiano in the long run to not have that year zero drag on his record and go into the 2021-2022 class with a fresh slate? You know, I think it's kind of hard to say. Um, I've talked to people who've said both sides of the fence. I see both arguments. On one hand, yes, I think it, it certainly helps Rutgers that they're not going to have to go through a 1-9 and or an 0-10 Big Ten-only schedule. And they maybe have a better chance to kind of keep that 2021 class intact. On the other hand, though, I don't think you can just recruit your way out of this problem. And there's a lot of you know young guys on that roster that – 
Greg has never had a practice, spring practice with. He's never really had a summer practice with. And he can't just get rid of all those, you know, those guys, you know, there's been no time for them to see that the writing's on the wall, that there might not be playing time. He needs those, that group of guys to either kind of play their, you know, improve and play the, become contributors or get to the point where maybe they, yeah, they do move on and they make room for his, for his own guys. So I think it, it hurts Rutgers in the sense that they just got to go play football and get better. And that opportunity is not going to be there for them right now. And my final question, just to sort of wrap this all up and shifting gears to what the next big question is going to be for Rutgers fans, and that's what's going to happen with college basketball. We saw John Rothstein and a couple others uh, t- discussing preliminary reports that both the Big Ten and the Big East and possibly other major conferences are considering some sort of bubble solution for basketball if the situation with the virus doesn't improve. Is that like... I mean, given how much money the NCAA and the conferences would lose from two seasons of no college basketball, let alone football, could we see something like that potentially play out down the line? I would be the, – the, the vibe I'm getting from you know sources I talk to is that there's a very good chance the Big Ten might shut down all sports through the end of the year. And if that happens, I think you're going to see college basketball season pushed back to January 1, probably in a conference-only format. Um, I don't buy the bubble argument. I, I just don't think it's feasible. And frankly, you have the same issues you have with football. These guys are not paid professionals, and I just think you you can kind of create a bubble. And, and then, but and the other issue too is that you can just do a bubble by having only the athletes be on campus. But again, these universities don't seem to want to go that far. So I don't see the bubble happening. I mean, we all hope that we can get to a point where we play hoops. You know, at this point, but I just don't see a bubble happening. I do think they're going to push it back until January one and try to reassess. The one kind of you know I think positive basketball has going for it is even if we had a 15 game regular season before a March Madness, I, I think that that obviously wouldn't be ideal. But it's a lot easier to find a way to jam a basketball season in than to jam a football season in. That was James Cratch of NJ.com discussing the latest news regarding the Big Ten's potential cancellation of the fall season. Coming up, we'll be talking NBA restart with my co-host Ronnie Walenta. It's the WRSU crew on 88.7 WRSU-FM, New Brunswick. Welcome back to the WRSU crew. Chris Cones and Ronnie Walenta here with you. As we know, big news. No college football in at least the fall of 2020. Um, very, very difficult for us here at WRSU Sports. But we just heard from James Cratch giving us the rundown on that. Now we're going to sort of switch gears and get back into it. NBA is back. And my Brooklyn Nets are surprisingly doing very well with the season they have no Kevin Durant no Kyrie Irving no half of their team basically it's Karis LeVert and Jared Allen doing all the work for us here and Nets beat the Clippers last night 129 to 120 was the final score and man the Nets are on a roll and it is so fun to watch it's I had zero expectations going into this I was just hoping Giannis would get his first ring but I don't know, Ronnie. Have you been able to catch any of this? Yeah, 
so uh, I'm I'm much less of a uh, basketball or a uh, NBA guy than than you are, Chris. But um, if I were to, you know, if I, I my favorite team is the Nets, I don't really watch uh, too much. So we, you know, I was I was also, you know, I, again, I don't know as much as as you do, but. Going in, I mean, they had so many injuries that it was it was tough for me to see them. You know, even you know, I know they were hanging on to a playoff spot, but I don't know. It was just going to be tough for me to see them winning a whole lot of games. And and, and you're right. I mean, Karis Silver has been carrying him. Joe Harris um, is obviously a big part of that team. His shooting ability and and Jared Allen is 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 a great uh, guy in the front court. So I mean. It's pretty cool to see them winning games despite being so injured and obviously not having their two best players. They didn't have Durant all year, but and they don't have DeAndre Jordan either. You know, it, it it's pretty impressive what they're doing so far. He, I'm going to read you his full stat line, Karis LeVert, um, from the game against the Clippers last night. It was 27 points in 35 minutes, shot 10 of 17, had 13 assists. I mean, that is just unreal. And and I just want to say something about Karis LeVert because a lot of Nets fans, or really just NBA fans in general, have been talking about, you know, like the Nets need to trade for a third star. Do we give up Jared Allen and Karis LeVert for like Bradley Beal or something like that? Karis LeVert is the third star. I know he's had some difficulties with injuries and whatnot and, you know, hopefully he can stay healthy in the future. But this is a guy that you want to have on your team as a leading scoring threat because if there's anything we've learned from the NBA in the 2010s, it's that you need three stars to realistically be a championship contender. I mean, unless you're Dirk Nowitzki in the Mavs. And, you know, Karis LeVert offers you the opportunity to, to do that at the level you need because you've already got Kevin Durant, one of the premier players in the entire league, coming back from an injury next year. And you've also got Kyrie Irving, you know, in in an elite point guard for all the headaches that he gives our organization. It's a really exciting core coming together. And I, I cannot give enough credit to the job that Sean Marks has done, taking a team that had no draft picks, no contracts to trade, no future, and turning them into this in the span of like four years, I'd almost say it's Pikeesque. I mean, I couldn't agree more with you, Chris. And you know, I, again, as as a guy that you know roots for the Nets, obviously, you know, I got I got to see the end of that game yesterday. It was pretty nice to see them get that win against the Clippers. Um, but I have a question for you. So, obviously, next year, I think the expectations for the Nets are are big. Um, the first question is. Probably, who do you expect to be that starting five um, to be the big contributors on the team? And then the second question would be, what do you think the realistic expectations are for this year inside the bubble going towards the playoffs? I know, obviously, they, <clears throat> they got that playoff spot. They've locked it down. Uh, what do you think is realistic in terms of this season as well? Well, to answer your first question about what the lineup looks like, I think it's really not that much unchanged. You've got Kyrie Irving as your point guard, Karis LeVert's your shooting guard, Kevin Durant's your small forward, Jared Allen's your center, and 
I mean, DeAndre Jordan, he's on the downslope a bit. I think he can fit in at that power forward slot. Maybe that's an area where you want to upgrade in the offseason if you're the Brooklyn Nets. But really, that core four of Durant, Irving, Lavert, and Allen are what's going to make this team elite going forward and just a really fun team to watch. Now, to your second question about expectations. I mean, it's... Almost never do you see, I think 2007, if I'm not, if I'm remembering correctly, was the last time where an NBA team that was an eight seed in the playoffs upset a one seed in a best of seven series. You know, we're not dealing with the NHL playoffs here, unfortunately. There's a bit of a gap between the good teams and the not so good teams, but the Nets are hot. I think they could steal a couple of, assuming they stay in the eight seed, I could see them stealing a game maybe two if everything goes perfectly against the Milwaukee Bucks who I'm also very high on but you know that's another conversation but really just seeing them gel as well as they have given everyone they're losing is really encouraging to see as a Nets fan yeah I couldn't agree more I mean again I the expectations I think for me were low going into the bubble just because of the absence of, of a lot of good players uh, for the Nets. But, I mean, you're seeing a lot of guys that, I mean, especially Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, but maybe some good depth as well uh, kind of come through and, and lead to a good supporting cast next year for the Nets as well. Um, so, you know, going maybe to a more wide-scale league type thing, um, who do you think, uh, what kind of matchups are you looking at? What uh, what kind of expectations do you have for who makes the finals? Um, who are you looking at? I know you said you like the Bucks. I, I think you know the Bucks are a realistic team to to get there. I mean, what what are your thoughts on you know the end end game of the playoffs? Well, it's interesting. I think it's a bit more wide open, relatively speaking, compared to what some of the past NBA finals and NBA playoffs have been. You know, it'd be it was. Cavs Warriors for like four years, and of course LeBron went to the Lakers. Lakers didn't do so hot. Raptors with Kawhi uh, made that run, so I think it's going to be a bit more unpredictable. I think it's going to come down to these four teams in all likelihood: uh, the Bucks and the Raptors in the East, because Raptors, despite losing Kawhi Leonard, have not missed a beat. I mean, Pascal Siakam went from being a role player to a star in his own right. And that's just a well-coached team, a really well-run organization. Um, they don't have, like, any flashy, like, superstars. They don't have, like, an MVP caliber guy. But they're a team that plays really well together and can get the job done. So the Toronto Raptors, I would absolutely throw up there. Milwaukee Bucks, of course, you know, Giannis is the best thing to happen to both the Milwaukee Bucks and the people of Greece in a very long time. Um, but they've got a good, they've got a solid, uh, supporting cast with, you know, guys like Chris Middleton, um, Brooke Lopez, who had, I think 37 points in the game against the Mavericks. Uh, he's a guy that's really key. They've got some very intriguing pieces and it's a case of, can they get over the hump and finally beat the Raptors? Couldn't overcome that hump in last year's playoffs, but this will be their chance to finally do it. And then on the Western side, it has to be the Lakers and the Clippers, in my view. You've got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and the Clippers going up against LeBron and Anthony Davis of the Lakers. 
that's going to be the really big matchup. That was one of the opening matchups uh, for when uh, the NBA restarted back in the end of July. And that, I think, is what's going to come down to being the Western Conference Finals. I think it's hard to pick from those four who I think is the most likely to win. I think we still have to see how they fare in the early rounds of the playoffs. But those are my four teams to really watch in terms of who can win a title and really compete. Okay. Yeah, and, I mean, and you know, as as someone that again, you know, I'll watch an NBA game, you know, every once in a while, but my biggest critique of it, especially the last few years, has been that lack of any variability. The the fact that you kind of can guess who is going to get to the finals. You can kind of guess, you know, who's going to win. Obviously, you know, the Raptors were such a cool team last year to watch. Um, they got there, and you know, they they really you know, surprised everyone. Um, is there any other teams that you look at and you could say, you know, maybe they, they make a run, like maybe the Nuggets, you know, an interesting team, um, you know, the, the Pacers, the Celtics. Is there any team there that you think might have a chance to kind of make a run and is not really necessarily favored in uh, their respective conference? Well, I think the Dallas Mavericks really are an intriguing team to watch. They've got a really young core, a, a, an absolute stud in Luka Doncic, who, frankly, for all the Zion hype that we've gotten in terms of who is the best young player to enter the league the last two, three years, I think Luka Doncic has easily earned that title. I mean, this is a guy who can score the basketball. He's tall. He's got good length. He can defend really well, he can dribble really well, find teammates, like, the guy can do it all. And, you know, the Dallas Mavericks are always a well-run organization. I mean, talk about the job Mark Cuban has done as the owner. Yeah, they're a team that really intrigues me uh, in the pieces that they've put around him. I think they're a year or two away from really contending, but they could make a run. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, particularly if you have a, a higher-seeded team going down with injuries, if the Mavs you know, get a little bit further than everyone thinks they will. I'm still a bit skeptical that they can make the conference finals, but they're a team that I think has the potential to be really dangerous going forward. And when we look back on who the top teams of the 2020s are, I would not be surprised if the Dallas Mavericks end up being up there. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely have an interesting interesting squad you know obviously turnover after after Nowitzki you know retired but it's pretty cool to see you know Luka Doncic come over obviously Kristaps Porzingis was a big trade from from the Knicks um but yeah I mean as someone again who who you know is skeptical of the way that the NBA works I you know I like team I like um leagues that have that variability kind of like you know, the NHL always for me is kind of like that, but it'd be really cool to see a team that's really not favored. I mean, even, I mean, I think it'd be cool to see like the Bucks get there. I, you know, the the Bucks are such an interesting organization to me, but I mean, I think just a little bit of change, kind of like we got a little bit of last year, like with the Raptors coming in, I think it would go a long way to, you know, making the league even more appealing, even though it's such a up and coming league anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be exciting to watch how this whole thing plays out in the bubble. I'm a little bit disappointed that they didn't end up going with uh, Troy's idea. 
don't know if you uh, listened to the crew back in like, I want to say it was June when he mentioned this, but um, basically doing like a whole reality TV show of the guys just like living in the bubble, like having their hangout spots. Like these guys are living in like the only Corona free territory in the United States right now. So like they're definitely living it up there, even though, you know, someone has to leave to get the hot wings, but hopefully we don't have too many other issues with that. Lou Williams, what a guy. Yeah, that, I mean, that that was one of the, the greatest stories I've ever seen. And then, I don't know if you saw, but uh, Johnny Manziel came out and and uh, kind of backed his, his review of the Wings. I, I don't know necessarily what um, he, was, he was meaning to do by that, but it definitely gave it kind of an interesting connotation with Johnny Manziel kind of <laughs> supporting those Wings, but... Just, uh, just very interesting. I, I like Troy's idea, uh, 100% of, uh, you know, reality TV. I mean, we saw how, how big the last dance was with, you know, focusing in on, you know, uh, Jordan and everything, but I mean, just a current little, you know, show about what's going on in the bubble. I mean, I'd watch it. I, I know you'd watch it. I mean, it'd just be, it'd be a whole lot of, uh, fun to see. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But, you know, didn't want to listen to Troy, and now they're going to suffer the consequences. Ah, who are we kidding? They're going to make a ton of money. All right, we're going to step aside. Uh, this is the WRSU crew on 88.7 WRSU-FM, New Brunswick. Welcome back to the WRSU crew. Chris Aconis and Ronnie Walenta here. As we know, the big news coming out of the Big Ten is no fall college football or really any fall sports in general in 2020. Um, we'll have more on that with uh, James Cratch at the top of the hour at 7 o'clock. So definitely stay tuned after that. But it's time for Can We Just Talk? Ronnie, let's spring the wheel. Oh, it really is. And it looks like I'm the lucky one today. So it lands on me. And here, here's something sports-related that I would like to talk about. And it basically boils down to the NFL. So as we know, college football is on life support. And that's honestly being a bit generous to them. So the big question now goes... What is our Saturday afternoon going to look like in the fall? And luckily, hopefully, it looks like we will be able to get football on Saturdays with uh, the NFL more or less announcing, well, not announcing, but sources close to some reporters have announced that it's likely that a good chunk of the slate, like a few games a week, will be moved to Saturday. So if nothing else, we'll have that to sort of fill the void. Of course, how the NFL season ends up looking is anybody's guess, but 
it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I'm just glad that we could have something on Saturday, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's football. I mean, it stinks that we can't have Big Ten football. I mean, again, that's not officially announced yet, but, you know. It, it's pretty much official. Is it? Like, I, I it's, it's Ronnie, it's going to happen. It's going to happen? Yes. I, I, I'm sorry, Chris, I'm still holding out some hope, but this, this is a really nice consolation uh, prize to see some some NFL football on on, uh, on Saturday. You know, you're going to get to catch more of the games than you would have, you know, sometimes if your team's, you know, playing in a certain spot. That's the only game you're going to get to watch for a few hours. Um, so if they spread it out, I mean, that that's awesome. Obviously, you know, what do you know, Chris, what other sports are going to be going on during that time? I don't Well, the NBA and the NHL are going to be wrapping up their bubbles uh, in early October, early mid-October, I believe. So that would offer like a six-week window where you could have potentially all four major sports going on at the same time. And then, yeah. And then after that, we would have, uh, I don't know when the World Series is scheduled for exactly. I believe it's around the time the NBA Finals is like wrapping up. So we have that, and you know, hopefully, if the NFL can keep everyone healthy and avoid any major issues, um, you know, we'd have just the NFL from October to like December, and then December is when the NBA is likely to start their next season. They could possibly do some sort of like regional bubble to start the season if they have to, but I mean, who knows what that's going to look like? Uh, but. Looks like we'll have NBA. I'd be shocked that the NHL didn't end up doing something similar. So in terms of pro sports, yeah, it looks like we're on our road back. But it really depends on what happens with the virus at this point. Like in terms of will cases go down? Uh, when do you get a vaccine? All that stuff. And I, I, I don't really want to talk about it at all. But. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, next couple months from the pro side of things. I, I do like the fact that the NFL is taking advantage of this gap in the schedule because, let's be honest, what else am I going to do on a Saturday in the fall, realistically? Yeah. Um, here's something that, and I'm kind of just spitballing here, but this is something that I think could turn out to be a really fun idea if uh, the NFL and individual NFL teams want to go down that path basically what the new england revolution soccer team did was they had a bunch of tarp over uh, their stadium field and they had like a certain number of cars drive onto the field and they had the game in orlando because mls was in a bubble too streaming on the big screen now how difficult would it feasibly be for the Giants and the Jets? You've got a huge parking lot at MetLife Stadium. You're not going to have any fans at the games. Would it be the worst idea to set up a couple, like, monitors where you could have, like, a socially distanced, like, drive-in watch party? Like, I think that'd be awesome, personally. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's that's unrealistic. I mean, also, we, we don't know exactly where we'll be by the time of football season. I mean, obviously, the social distancing protocols, you would still, you know, want to make sure you're being careful. Um, but, I mean, I think that's completely realistic. Um, the thought for for any, uh, for the uh, NFL, though, Chris, is uh, 
they're not doing they're not even thinking about a bubble right because it'd be it'd be kind of unrealistic in that sense right for the NFL I mean not in the same sense that the NBA and the NHL is doing it what a lot of NFL teams are like starting to flirt with and a couple of them are already in the process of putting us in action is having team hotels in their home markets like I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are doing something like this where essentially players can uh, choose to isolate themselves at the hotel and like, you know, have like room service and all that stuff and essentially protect themselves from picking it up in the community that way. And basically how that would work is you'd have essentially like 32 mini bubbles and each team would just travel to and from each stadium. And other than that, they'd be essentially isolated. So Look, the NFL has the most resources out of any professional league. They have the most to lose out of any uh, professional league. And their TV partners have the most to lose out of any potential league. So essentially, if there is any league that can figure out a way to power through and get this done, it's the National Football League. That They're the league I am by far the least worried about in terms of getting a season underway and getting through it without too many issues. I mean, of course, I could be horribly wrong. We sit here a month, a month and a half from now and talking about how much of a disaster the NFL's turned into, but I think they'll be able to figure something out. Yeah, I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to disagree with you there. I mean, obviously, I think the NFL did a great job with the draft. They were, you know, that was one of the only... You know, and I put quotes around it, sporting events going on. Obviously, you know, it's something big. That I think it's obviously the biggest draft out of all the, the professional sports leagues. So they did a great job getting that out. And, I mean, making it fun. I, I thought it was an enjoyable experience. Um, so, yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think they have um, a lot of capability to get this thing going. Um, now, how would that 32 team – because – that 32-team bubble would seem similar to me to the MLB bubble, the, the 30. I mean, because MLB teams are really not, you know, the players are not really supposed to be going out anywhere. They're supposed to be quarantined. Yeah. Kind of in the, so, you know, my only thought is um, it would worry me a little bit because of what has happened at times in baseball. Obviously, you know, the vast majority of teams, you know, haven't had an issue, but... Um, in terms of some of the teams that have had outbreaks, I wonder, you know, what other protocols the the, N- the NFL might take that maybe MLB didn't didn't consider or, or didn't think of um, to help them, you know, reduce the spread of any kind of coronavirus uh, outbreak. Yeah, well, I think the big difference here is I think the NFL is going to be a lot stricter in terms of enforcement. I mean, this is the league that suspended Josh Gordon like twenty times for uh, his preferences, but uh, not going to get into that. But the NFL is not going to mess around with this. You're not going to hear about, you know, the New England Patriots going to a casino or the Miami Dolphins going to a bar. Like, we're not going to hear any of that. I think the NFL is going to be very, I mean, obviously nothing's foolproof, but as airtight as you could possibly be during this. And I think that they're probably the best equipped to pull it off with all the resources that they have. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree, and I mean, I think it's awesome uh, what you were saying, like that they have the chance to play on Saturday. They're going to spread everything out. I think that's going to. I mean, I think TV ratings are going to be really good for this, obviously, because you're not having, you know, you're not having a certain amount of fans get into the ballparks. Obviously, you know, you don't know how that's going to affect the revenue stream, but I would think that they're still going to get great ratings. Um, it's 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 going to be by its uh, by itself for some period of time, so that's obviously going to help it out. And I mean. Uh, you know, they, I, I agree. I think they have great resources. Obviously, you know, most people are not a, a fans of Goodell, but I, I think the league as a whole is going to figure it out as well. And, um, you know, I hope they have more success than, you know, I, I don't want to say like baseball's been a failure because I don't think it has for the most part. But, you know, there have been situations that have arose that, you know, have not made it look as good as it, it, it probably could have been. And I, I just hope that, the NFL has has some kind of um, like some kind of protocol that it is more, uh, you know, geared towards limiting this spread because I mean it's been such an issue that they've talked about canceling baseball and I don't think the NFL wants any kind of um, you know situation where they might have to cancel the, the season midway through or even before anything so you know, all those resources are going to come in handy, as you said. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the big question mark, but I'm confident that the NFL, with all the resources and money they have, will be able to figure it out, and, I mean, it'll feel great to have some football on. I mean, if the Jets can't disappoint me, is it really fall? That's the way I look at it, but... All right, we're going to step aside. Uh, We'll have James Cratch coming on in a few minutes. This is the WRSU crew on 88.7 WRSU-FM, New Brunswick.